invite your attention again to Acts chapter 2 tonight. Acts chapter 2, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we began a series of messages out of Acts 2 that I call four pillars of our faith, like the four uh, legs of a chair or four legs of a table uh, that are very, very stable. And uh, these things are uh, referenced here in Acts chapter 2. We see them demonstrated for us, uh, four pillars uh, that undergird our faith, undergird our, our church life, all the things relating to our faith. Right here, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, that's nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, I guess maybe if it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they might have something to worry about. But it was uh, just 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Uh, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, we began by looking at the pillar of unity. Uh, yes, it's kind of one accord. That's exactly right. Uh, our unity is directly related to the unction, the power of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. They were all with one accord and in one place. And the mighty Spirit of God came upon them and they heard the sound of the rushing mighty wind and the cloven tongues of fire spoke upon each one of them and they began to go out into the streets of Jerusalem speaking languages from the people who had gathered there for the feast from all over the the known world. Many, many different languages and yet God speaking to them as a sign to the Jewish people This was noised abroad, the Bible tells us, and you say, well, what happens? Well, he had gathered together the gift of tongues and all the things that happened on Pentecost had served to gather together a curious crowd, a skeptical crowd. And Simon Peter stood up and preached the word of God. He read a text part of which I read uh, uh, just a few moments ago out of Joel chapter 2. He would refer to Psalm 116 and Psalm 110. And he preached a sermon. I'm going to make a statement for you tonight. Every great ministry, every great church must be centered around the preaching of the Word of God. There's a reason why when you walk into a church building like faith, that you see a pulpit right in the center of our stage. We're sending a message before people ever sit down about what we consider to be most important. Uh, it bothers me a little bit. Maybe, you know, I've lived long enough that I guess I'm, I'm becoming somewhat of an old mossback. I don't know. I, I used to be a liberal. I don't know how this happened. Uh, I'm not a liberal politically now. I've never been one of those. I mean, you know, it just, uh, I was always one of those, uh, Brother Tony knows what I'm talking about. I was always one of those that's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit and 
and trying to go against some of those uh, uh, stayed old practices. I, I like to say one of my great accomplishments in the early years of my ministry is I got to where people could wear shorts in Bog Springs. I'm telling you, yeah, I was one of the ones that made that happen. And if you don't think, I got hate mail over that one. Oh, yeah, that was... Some of you young people, you thought, what is he talking about? Go home and ask your grandpa and grandma. Let them explain it to you. <clears throat> uh, but it, when I walk into church and I see the drums at center stage, that, that bothers me a little. It does. Uh, because, you see, what we do and everything we do around uh, our church service, most of it has, has a reason. Not all tradition is bad. And uh, we put the pulpit in the center of our building for a reason. It sends a message from the very beginning of what we consider to be the central thing that's going to happen here. I don't say that in an egotistical way. Yes, God called me to preach. Uh, but if I were sitting out there where you were, I would hope that I would have the same respect and reverence for the preaching of the Word of God that I have from this side of the pulpit. I know that I would to a certain extent because I was raised that way. I was. I was raised to respect preaching. <laughs> I better sit still. <laughs> well, they couldn't make me listen, but they could make me sit still and, and be respectful. And they taught me to do that. I learned how to listen because I watched my parents listen. I learned to take notes because I watched my parents take notes. I, I learned and was raised all my life to respect the importance of the preaching of the Word of God. Once I surrendered to preach, my deacon daddy gave me some advice I've never forgotten to this day. Uh, he said, son, never waste God's time. If you're going to preach, then you get behind that pulpit and preach. And uh, we don't lollygag around a lot here. <laughs> As you've noticed, I stand up, read the Word of God, and here we go. A lot of that's because that's what my daddy taught me. Because preaching time, he said, is precious. We don't get, get a little time to come to church and, and hear somebody preach the Word of God. It's precious time. Never take it for granted. Use it carefully. I was raised that way. I haven't changed my mind much. But even if I was raised that way, and even if that was my opinion, and if even that was my preference, and I, if it's even that I say, well, I like that the pulpit's in the center stage, and, and it kind of makes me uncomfortable when it's not. Uh, but in the end, all of that would just be preferences and what my mom and dad taught and how I was raised. If that's all I had to go on, it wouldn't be much. Because if I'm going to say that the preaching is primary, if it's a central part of our faith, I need to be able to show you that in Scripture. Right here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, it's not like God made us wait all the way to the book of Revelation to find out from the very beginning. And what the Bible calls the beginning, not the beginning of the church, we've talked about that, but certainly the beginning of this uh, spirit-empowered ministry that John and Jesus had promised. And from the beginning of that empowered ministry of the New Testament church, right up front, right from the start, somebody got up and read the Word of God and preached a message. I want to show you tonight some of the things that they did just to uh, put your analytical minds to, to work a little because I want you to see what kind of preaching they did because I'm convinced that the kind of preaching that the apostles did is the kind of preaching we need to be doing today. You want to know why that is? 
Because the world's not that much different. You know, in Simon Peter's day, when he stood there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost so long ago, he faced a skeptical, hostile crowd, steeply rooted in their religious system. Oh, listen, they knew a lot about God. Unfortunately, a whole lot that they knew about God was absolutely wrong. They thought they were right with God. They weren't. They were worshiping God according to the traditions and preferences, but they did not know God at all. It was a terrible thing. Paul the Apostle, in fact, would have to write a huge portion of the New Testament just to defend the principle that the Jews needed to be saved. Much of his argument in Romans chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 was devoted to answering the question, how could God's chosen people be lost? But they were. He said it right up front. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, he said today, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He faced a deeply entrenched false religious system that thought they knew God but believed a lot of things that were absolutely wrong about God. There were the very liberal Sadducees who denied the resurrection and who denied the authority of Scripture. There were the legalistic Pharisees who had gone to seed on the law of Moses and who were out to to teach not only everything the law said, but everything that this preacher said the law said and this preacher said the law said for a hundred generations they'd been adding stuff to the law and all their traditions and all their ideas. And you dare not (laughs) pluck a hair out of a chinny-chin-chin of one of those traditions. I mean nothing. The Pharisees stood for it all. Ultra-conservative. They were just as wrong as the Sadducees. It was a very, very secular section of their religion. It was really only concerned about governmental function. They had devoted themselves to the overthrow of the Roman government. And really that was all that was on their mind. It was politics and government. The zealots. Around the world there were people who were living in the iron grip of paganism. They believed in all kinds of gods, many gods. The mystery religions that were centered and rooted all around the Mediterranean Sea and those gods and goddesses that we read about, those myths that we read about uh, were uh, the essence of, of who they were. All kinds of mystery religions were flourishing about them as People inevitably then under their influence would begin to worship because they're rooted in the stars. They worship the sun. They worship the moon. They worship the stars. They worshiped and exactly like Romans 1 says, they worshiped and served the creation more than the creator. They lived in a very violent world. Very violent. A lawless world in many cases. You had the Romans on one side, and oh, you didn't mess with the Romans. But wherever the Romans weren't, the outlaws were. And people then were shedding blood on both sides of that story. Violent, wicked land. So what is the nature of preaching in that environment? And the reason that I ask that tonight is because that is very much like the environment we're still preaching in today. It hasn't changed that much. 
Certainly our technology has advanced. And all that does is give error the opportunity of spreading more rapidly than it ever has before. Where it used to spread at a walking pace. uh, Now uh, some hack up in Montana somewhere can sit in his closet and touch the world. All it takes is a computer and internet access. Well, we say that the world is hostile suspicious, skeptical, even antagonistic to the preaching of the gospel. (laughs) Well, I got good news for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ flourished in that kind of world. The preaching of the gospel did very well in that kind of world. And I believe it's exactly the kind of preaching that we need today. So let's look, take a little while, just a little analysis. What kind of preaching did they do? Well, the first thing you see is explanation. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judah and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be it known unto you, hearken to my words. These are not drunk, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he read the word of God then, and he began to explain to these people what was going on in their world. When you look in the word of God, You have the ultimate answer for what is going on in our world. There's some people who want to know what's going on in the world and and, and they pick up a newspaper. Maybe the Arkansas Democrats. You want to know what's going on in the world. Some people might go to a more sophisticated newspaper. They want to read the New York Times. Somebody says, well, I I want to know what's going on in the world. Well, I'm going to listen to Fox News, CNN, or what's the view? I, I don't know. I want to know what's going on in the world. Well, log on Facebook. You can find out everything on Facebook. Listen, you want to know what's really going on in the world? Read the Word of God. Because it tells us what is really happening out there. And so when Simon Peter was reading the Word of God, he was giving them explanation concerning what was happening in their world and what God had to say about it. Oh, you see, the simple truth is that there's so many false prophets and so many religious charlatans in our world today that we must, like Simon Peter, constantly explain to people what we are all about and why we do what we do. In a very real way, this whole series is motivated by my desire to do that. Why do we do church the way we do? Why uh, do we still come together and gather and do the things that we do? I want to show it to you that these things are all rooted in the Word of God. And the fact that we have to explain this and explain ourselves constantly to the world around us should not be a matter of great concern. Simon Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be always ready, Simon Peter said, to give an answer to every man that asks you. And so when the people in that crowd on the day of Pentecost so long ago began to ask, what's going on here? What's happening here? Then Simon Peter was quick to take the word of God and give them an explanation for what was happening and what that church was doing. Oh, may we always be a church that can point to the word of God and explain what we do. And why we do it. Uh, Because then you see we're, we're solid. We're on solid ground. Our footing is stable. 
when we can point to the Word of God and explain what we're doing. Now, the fact that that uh, explanation was needed should not be overlooked by us. You see, Simon Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 almost presupposes that we are going to be asked, somebody's going to be asking, what's going on? What is going on? Unfortunately, in far too many churches and in far too many lives of Christian people, we do not find us, ourselves having to explain anything. And that's a sad thing. The more churches turn to clever marketing strategies and, and design themselves then to attract the world and imitate the world and use all of those kinds of things, the more we turn away from the mighty power of the Spirit of God, the less we're going to have to explain ourselves to the world. You see, the more, though, that we are moving in the power of the Spirit of God, the more the world is confused and is left wondering, how can this thing be? When you picture Samson tonight, what do you picture in your mind? Uh, some guy like, like, like the governor of California, the governator uh, out there, some big muscle man. I don't believe Samson was a muscle man at all. I can't prove it. When I get to heaven, if I get up there and he was 6 foot 19 and, and, <laughs> and some big old mountain of a man, well, I'll, I'll say, I'm sorry, I just missed that one. Uh, the reason I say that is because the Philistines were constantly asking, trying to figure out where is the source of his power. If he had been a giant of a man, they would have said, well, look at him. He's a giant of a man. But they kept wondering, why, how can he do these things? You see, there was nothing about Samson, apparently, that would cause the Philistines to think that he had the kind of strength that he had and could do the kind of things that he did. Imagine how amazed they were to find out that the secret was actually in his hair. Now, you understand, it really wasn't in his hair. It was in his obedience to God. What was happening was that Samson was experiencing the mighty power of God on his life. And the world could not explain it and couldn't understand. And that has been my constant prayer throughout my ministry and remains so for Faith Baptist Church, even tonight, that God would do such a work in this church that nobody in this town could explain it away. That the only thing they could say is that God is blessing them. God is blessing. God is working. God is moving. Simon Peter presupposes that we will be asked Asked about what's happening. Asked to explain how it is. And, and we can give then the explanation. There was a negative explanation. He had to tell them what wasn't happening. These men are not drunken as you suppose. And in all seriousness, I think Simon Peter brought up drunkenness for a reason. I don't think that these people were falling around and staggering down and, 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 and doing the kind of things that drunken people do uh, just enough alcohol though creates excitement a flush in the face and joy in the heart uh, people who are are slightly inebriated tend to talk loud they'll say anything they're not afraid of anybody there's a boldness then associated with it and there was something about them, some, something about their facial expression, something about their excitement, something about their enthusiasm, something about their boldness that reminded people of 
folks who are just a little bit lit. But, but listen, <laughs> uh, they hadn't been in the spirits. Uh, they were moving in the mighty power of the Spirit of God. And what an incredible example that is. As they were able to go about moving in the power of the Spirit of God. Showing the joy, the peace. That supernatural boldness that moved them forward. There was a negative explanation. This is nothing relating to the flesh. Then there's the positive explanation. This is the mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This prophecy is being fulfilled. This is a day of joy and gladness because God is moving among His people. I have to say it a little bit tonight that there are times when I get tired of having to explain myself. There have been times, and it's usually not with lost people, don't get me wrong. Um, but I am sometimes wearied by having to go back over and over and over and over again the same ground and explaining the work of God. But I have to remind myself this is not a bad thing when people are asking questions. It's a good thing. It's why that I've always told people, I don't mind questions. Ask me questions. I, I like questions. You may not like my answer, but I, ask me a question. I'm not, don't be afraid of that. Uh, but sometimes it does get tedious. Sometimes I feel like the blind man in John chapter 9, who was dragged before the council to give an explanation of what had happened so that he could now see. And they kept bombarding him with questions. And he just kept saying, you know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. I can't explain it all, but I was blind. I know this, and now I see. Uh, I can't work out all the theological implications, but I know this much. I was blind, uh, but now I see. You guys are the experts. You're the ones that need to figure it out. All I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. I tell you, his testimony got him kicked out of church. <laughs> uh, they did. They churched him. They threw him out of the synagogue. Now that I not like her answer. Be a people who can say that God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God's doing amazing things. Be quick to explain it, to share it. So there was explanation. There was an explanation element in Simon Peter's preaching. And we still need that today. We need to be able to explain it. We need to be able to explain what we do and why we do it by going to the Word of God. And ultimately, by going to the power of the Spirit of God, as things are happening that only He can uh, accept credit for. But then there was more. There was a plain teaching of Scripture, and we call that exposition. Exposition. Exposition occurs when you start with the text, the Bible, and you ask the question of the text then, what did God say? Not what do I want to say, but what does the text say? What did God say? An exposition then begins with that, with the text, and we expose, that's where the word came from, uh, what this passage means and how then it applies to our, our life and our situation. And so while a part of our proclamation must always be explanation, a part of our Proclamation also must be exposition, the telling of and preaching of the Word of God. 
over the three years plus that I've been your pastor. I, I have preached already through several books of the Bible. I like to do that. Sometimes, like tonight, I'm, I'm preaching through Acts chapter 2, and we'll take a smaller portion, and, and, and I'll preach through that. But over and over again, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you've seen it again and again and again. We get up and we read the scripture, and we say, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. And we begin then to build our thoughts and collect our thoughts around the Word of God. If we don't have a biblical foundation, folks, for our ministry, we have no foundation. And that's why we have preaching, we have teaching, we have a scripture memorization program called Awana. Why we have music and witnessing that are all founded on the Word of God, on biblical truth and example. We not only make sure that our preaching is scriptural and our teaching is scriptural, but I want our music to be scriptural, and it is. If we're going to have a memorization program, I want us to make sure we're teaching kids to memorize the Bible and make sure they know what it means. Why? Because 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good works. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives us a balanced approach to the preaching of the Word of God. There must be doctrine, number one. Uh, yeah, that, that did came for, come first there, didn't it? Isn't that first? And it is profitable, number one. For doctrine. I've actually had people tell me over the course of my ministry that they don't like doctrinal preaching. Please, please, please don't ever tell me that. Okay, please, please. I, I'm, I'm serious. If some visitor comes in and tells me that, then that's okay. But, but please don't tell me that. Because the fact is, I can't really preach about anything in the Bible without preaching doctrine. If I'm preaching about Jesus, I'm preaching about the doctrine of Christ. If I'm preaching about the second coming, I'm preaching about the doctrine of the second coming. It even has a name. It's called eschatology. If I'm preaching about Jesus, it has a name, and that's Christology. If I'm preaching about God, it has a name. That's theology. If I'm preaching about how we got the Bible, that's bibliology. I could go on and on and on tonight, but I hope you're getting the point. Uh, the doctrine is, is, is in the essence of everything. It simply refers to the truth uh, about whatever it is that the subject is that's under consideration. Certainly Peter did this on the day of Pentecost. He, he preached the doctrine of Jesus Christ. In verse 20, 23, he reminded them that they had taken him and crucified him. There must be doctrine. Then there must be reproof. There must be reproof. Uh, reproof comes when we uh, proclaim the truth of God and set that against the errors, the wrongdoing uh, that we all get involved in. There are times when the Word of God reproves us. And frankly, if we're not living right, we need reproof. But you don't need me to do that for you. I'm a sinner just like you are. We need the Word of God to do that for us. In the power of the Spirit of God. And when we preach and teach the Word of God, it does it. 
It is profitable for doctrine. It teaches us all of the great truths of Scripture. It is also profitable for reproof. And not only for reproof that tells us where we're wrong, but for correction that tells us what we need to do in order to fix what was wrong. And ultimately then, for instruction in righteousness. And you see all of these things. He rebuked them for the fact that they had crucified Jesus in verse 23. He corrected then their error by telling them that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He tells them then what they need to do. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. And so right here in Acts chapter 2, Uh, The apostle modeled a balanced ministry of the word of God. A balanced sense of the proclamation of God's truth. It's possible to go to seed on any one aspect of this. And it can really damage our church and really damage our ministry. Uh, We could, if I just uh, did nothing but went completely 100% into deep doctrinal teaching and preaching. uh, Might, uh, uh, while we need doctrine. uh, But that's not all we need. You see, I could go to, to seed on reproof, and a lot of preachers do. And all they do is get up and just uh, lamb blast everybody and talk about how long everybody's skirts are and how short their hair is, or, or, or maybe it was the other way around. Uh, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, you just, you just lamb blast everybody for everything, go against everybody for everything. You can go to seed on correction. And then we're assembling inquisitions to straight, straighten everybody out and Talk about how everybody's wrong. I heard a preacher say one time, as far as I know, I'm the only preacher in America that's right on everything. I'll tell you how that man ended up, but I'm not. Uh, Now, he said it like he was kidding, but he wasn't kidding. Um, We're in a mess when we think that we're right and everybody else is wrong and we've got everything right. Uh, God's going to have to spend some time on all of us when he gets us to heaven. Amen. You believe that? I believe that. Instruction in righteousness. We need to to know how to live in this life. How to live for Christ. And that's the application part of preaching. But if we do that to the exclusion of doctrine, uh, then we leave people who hear a lot about how to live and, and how to have a good life and how to pay their bills and how to raise their kids and And how to have a good marriage and all those things. But if they don't have a solid doctrinal foundation, folk, that crowd will split to the four winds when the first uh, big hang-up comes. We need all of these things. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That's a well-balanced ministry of the Word of God. Then in Simon Peter's proclamation and his preaching, then there was exaltation. He made much of Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. Verse 22, you men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. 
Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken Him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that, we should be, that He should be holden of it. Verse 31, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promises of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. I don't think he said those words with downcast eyes and shuffling feet. I don't believe Simon Peter was up there saying, no, I'm going to share a little something with you today. You know, I, I, Simon Peter was thundering the word of God. He was. And people trembled under the truth of what he said. How do I know he was thundering? Well, there was oh, thousands of people there. And they all heard him as he thundered out the message of Jesus Christ, of their rejection of him. And yet the fact that he lives, he preached the person of Christ, the program of God, the position of sinners. He preached Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, and his coronation. God has made him both Lord and Christ. If you study all through the New Testament and read the sermons and the writings of those men, of the apostles, you will find that their preaching centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and yes, his soon return. A great example is found in Acts chapter 7. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. This was Stephen. He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they beat him to death with rocks. <laughs> but he went out giving them a message. Jesus is alive. What a way to die. Jesus is alive. I see him going to him. You see, they never got over the fact that Jesus had died. They saw him dead. They buried him. But he didn't stay buried. And he didn't stay dead. He had healed the sick. He had calmed the sea. He raised the dead. He had cast out demons. He had made the crippled walk and the dumb to talk. He had opened deaf ears and blind eyes. He had fed the multitudes with loaves and fishes. He had mended broken hearts and, and lives. They had seen people change. They had experienced that change themselves. But the overwhelming thing they saw was that Jesus Christ died and he came back. He didn't stay dead. And they saw him exalted. That was the power of their preaching. Guess what? <laughs> it's the power of our preaching today. We've got a message to tell. God hath made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ. 
You show me a church that's drying up and cold and dead and dying, and I'll show you a church that's not making much of the living Lord Jesus Christ. If we'll lift up Jesus Christ, God said he'd draw all men unto me. And when people are in love with Jesus Christ and they're excited about who he is and what he is doing and the fact that he lived and died and rose again and that we serve a living Savior and that he is in the world today. When our people, you and I, when I as a preacher am excited about that and you as a people are excited about that. Oh yeah, the world's going to be coming around saying, what's going on? (laughs) What's going on here? And the explanation today has not changed a bit. Not a bit. Ministering and preaching in a world that is a mirror image in many ways of the first century world doesn't require us to be very innovative in our ministry style. You see, I'm convinced, and I don't think I'll change my mind. In fact, I know I won't. I'm convinced 100% that what this world needs today is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know they need it. You say, well, people don't like preaching today. Oh, you don't mean it. Oh, People have never liked preaching. What are you thinking? They never have. I mean, it just search the pages of this Bible and you'll find what the world has done to preachers. And it's not always been real pretty. But when you search the pages of this Bible and you find people who respond to the preaching of the Word of God, and they humble themselves before God. They begin then to do what God has told them to do in His Word. And when you see people then who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, you'll see God come through and do what He promised He'd do every time. And He will exalt you in due time. Oh, our world still needs to be preached to. Thank God He's still calling preachers to do it. One of my greatest burdens right now is to see how many younger guys there are coming up who will say they've been called to preach, but they don't much believe in preaching. That's strange to you. I I wish I could say I'm making it up, but they don't. Uh, They don't much like it. They don't much care for it. They minimize its role in the church. And their reasoning is very simple. Well, people don't want to listen to preaching today. That's exactly what you can, I can show it to you in a hundred books. After all, I teach this stuff in seminary. I read it and study it all the time. Show you a hundred or more books. For they start with the premise. Okay, since people don't want to hear preaching anymore, then what do we need to do? And they'll tell you how to build your church around something else. I'll read along in some of those books from time to time just mainly to get a little more ammunition to use in class because I still try to convince those young guys about how powerful preaching is because I know I've seen it happen again and again and again. 
One of the most powerful things that can ever happen on this side of glory is for a man of God to stand up in the power of the Spirit of God and preach the Word of God. It's powerful. It's powerful. And I pray that you'll always be a people in a church who respect it, who revere it, who understand how important it is, who keep showing up to listen to it. That's good. I can preach to this empty bunch of crap, bunch of pews. I do it from time to time. <laughs> I preach some good sermons in here. Nobody hears but me and the Lord. Unless somebody snuck in and sitting out there in the vestibule and I didn't know about it. But it's a whole lot easier to preach to a crowd. And so I'm glad you're here. But more importantly, don't forget that key passage in Acts chapter 2. This was noised abroad. Noised abroad. What happened in the upper room didn't stay in the upper room because the people went all over Sharon about what happened in a church where a bunch of hundred, about 120 people had gathered together. About what we got here tonight. And by the time they got through talking about what God had done, granted they had some miracles that had happened that was going on that was kind of helping their testimony a little bit. I'll give you that. But you know, the same power, the same God, and the same gospel of Jesus Christ is still working in your life and mine today. And we can go out talking in our community about what God has done in this place. Nor is it abroad. You bring people to this place, I promise you, in the power of the Spirit of God, I'll preach the Word of God to them. Everything that I have. Not bragging. That's not it. I'm just making you a solemn promise. I'll preach the Word of God. And that's not a small thing. To have a church where you can invite somebody to come, knowing that they're going to hear a message from the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God, knowing that we're going to sing praises to God and, and those songs are going, to be, are, are going to be sound and scriptural and rooted in Scripture and our, 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 our music is going to be honoring of God, that we'll pray and we'll love one another. And all of that flows from the preaching of the Word of God. And so, pillar number one was participation, unity, that creates an environment then where the mighty Spirit of God works unction. Second pillar is proclamation, the preaching of the Word of God. 